1 Kings chapter 2, verses 10 through 12, and chapter 3, verses 3 through 14. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. I didn't really like the wording of that the first time I read that. So we'll just say it like this. Then David fell asleep with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him for this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go or go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have instead asked for understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has met before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, all your life. No other king shall ever compare with you. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father, David, walked, then I will also lengthen your life. The epistle lesson this morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, as we have been reading for the last several weeks now. Uh, we arrive at the fifth chapter and the fifteenth verse, Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Paul writes, Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but is wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. We come before you, Lord, from very busy and scattered lives, full of distractions, full of annoyances, often confused as to what our next choice should be, and sometimes exhausted into our stillness, 
speak your truth and into our hearts bring fullness for that is what your word is sent to do to fill us up and bring us joy in Christ's name Amen I grew up in a household of teetotalers completely abstaining from alcohol it was interesting on our gathering in my mother's memory uh, that tradition has certainly stopped <laughs> especially when with every room you've got a drink coupon for two drinks so it was free in addition to being alcohol uh, but it was the free drink so you didn't want much of it really really bad Nebraska wine it was my mother's choice for our household to be abstinent and it was my father's acquiescence it wasn't that he was opposed to drink as my mother was but because he had known so many families and friends who had been devastated by alcohol addiction that he had little problem agreeing to my mother's preference for how our home was to be run. As far as my mom was concerned, it was a simple and pragmatic fear. She used to say that she would never know if she were an alcoholic because she had never tried to find out. She could list the number of times that she had tasted any form of alcoholic beverage on one hand and still have three fingers left over. The fear was somewhat born of her own experience of her father, who was an extremely violent man, who, as I have mentioned before, came home one evening with a gun prepared to shoot his wife, my grandmother, my mom, and her little brother, my uncle Phil. Interestingly enough, my grandfather, who died in prison before I was born, was also a teetotaler. My mom used to say if that was the way that he behaved when he was sober, who knows what it would have been like if he were drunk. So we arrived here in the first half of Ephesians 5.18. It was a verse that was frequently quoted to me by my mother in her house. And be not drunk with wine, as it is excess. It was quoted as a biblical foundation for our abstinent home. Scripture has few citations defending the dogged complete rejection of any form of drink. It's pretty clear in the scriptures that Noah and Moses drank beer, and Jesus drank wine, as did the members of the Corinthian community unambiguously, and Paul even tells Timothy to take a little wine for his indigestion struggles. Drunkenness, however, is condemned in many places throughout Scripture. My mother used to say, why take your chances with that first drink? By the way, as a kid, I thought the word teetotaler was tea, T-E-A, totaler, which meant you only drank tea, though we drank coffee as well in our house. Right? But I thought it was teetotaler. Somehow you were pledging yourself away from alcohol to some lighter drink like tea. The word teetotaler actually, it's T-E-E, as in a T-square, total with a capital T. A teetotaler was an abstainer to the fullest extent possible. To the T, they were not going to drink alcohol, which in our house even included cooking wine, which could only be purchased in the cooking aisle of the grocery store, not the liquor section. And it was always heated to a good roaring boil, well above the 172 degrees it takes to evaporate out of all of the alcohol out of wine. It was a safe purchase 
Trust me, no one is ever going to over-imbibe on Holland House cooking wine. <laughs> so my first flinch in reading this passage from Ephesians in preparation for today's sermon was to assume that Paul is commanding us to put away strong drink and be sober, which is true. Drinking is excess. But Paul is also juxtaposing the spirit of the drink to the spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine, that's excess, but be filled with the spirit. When was the last time you got together for celebration of God's people that was so intense that the love and the joy and gratitude spilled out with such enthusiasm that your neighbors all thought that you'd been drinking? That's what happened on the day of Pentecost, you know, when the disciples were filled with the Spirit. They were speaking with such animation and clarity and joy and enthusiasm that those who didn't listen carefully thought they'd been drinking. That's why Peter, when he begins his sermon, says, They are not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Come back at 3, it might be a different story. But 9 o'clock in the morning, they are filled with the Spirit, not with alcohol. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is the debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, writes Paul, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord your God with thankful hearts to God your Father at all times for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A sort of unleashed enthusiasm for the joy of a community of faith. Paul's commendation to the church in Ephesus was for them to experience such fullness, so much of God's joy, that any outside buzz would be unnecessary. You're not going to need to drink because you're going to be full of the Spirit. Plus, after you gather to church, you can drive home without fear of being pulled over. Last Sunday, Elder Cogan reminded us that our very being is constructed of cosmic stardust. And the light from the sun shines down upon us so that our very shadow is a reminder of how we are included in God's own universe. As I listened to the service that's recording this past week, I just wanted at that point to break out to me. And my shadow stole the head. Maybe got that. Consider the full weight of Paul's suggestion. He's writing to a culture that knew well the Latin phrase, in vino veritas, in wine, there is truth. The logic being that if you got somebody a little buzzed, they'd speak a little more freely and a little more honestly than if they remained stone sober and in control of their senses. But what Paul is saying, not in vino veritas, but in theo spiritus veritas, in God's spirit, there is truth. Christian, there is a joyful, dance-grade, soul-shaking power in seeing the world clearly as God sees the world. Unfortunately, it has become fashionable these days to suggest that if you're not a little depressed or a little discouraged, then you're clearly ill-informed. People who see what's truly going on, those who keep themselves aware of the world around us, are always a little grumpy, a little disgusted, a little angry, because the world is such a mess. I keep looking for the handbasket. 
At this point, I thought we were going in a handbasket, and no one's given us a handbasket yet, but Paul suggests to the Ephesian church that such a dire interpretation of the world around us, that's drunk talk. Inviting the spirits of this corrupt world, it is easy to be overcome by its toxicity. When you read the news, frankly, if that's all there is, I need a drink. But that's not all there is. And to continue to see the world around us through our beer goggles is to suggest that we can't endure things as they really are, and we have to dull our senses in order to survive the day. And that misses what God commands as the joyful power of clear-eyed reality. This is where Solomon's request brings us the great example, the power of deep Clarity, unless you think that Rebecca and I spoke before this service and she selected her interpretation of Solomon's time of transition, uh, we did not. Perhaps we're attending to the same spirit. In 1 Kings 2, King David has died. You changed it to go to sleep with the ancestors because slept with the ancestors. Sounds like a weird euphemism. Solomon is in succession to reign in his place, but before the coronation, Solomon goes up to Gibeah for a little festival, and while he is there, God visits him in a dream and asks him, what do you need? David was your father, says God, and I want you to know that I'm here to help you too. So what do you need? And Solomon answers, Shema Lachem. Shema Lachem. The first word Shema is the beginning of the most holy prayer in the Hebrew tradition. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Hechah. Hear, Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Solomon wanted Shema. He wanted the capacity to hear. He wanted to be able to listen. You know, drunks are really, really bad listeners. Fill in your favorite slurring joke here. You don't tell something, somebody something important when they're intoxicated. You wait till they sober up because they're not going to retain it or they're not going to remember what you said or they're not going to be able to hear you correctly. The capacity to hear, the capacity to really listen requires concentration, clear-headedness, sobriety. But more than that, more than Shema, Solomon wants Shema Leheben. Leheben is the second word. Hear so that I can understand. What do you want? He responds, I want to be able to listen so that I can understand. Shema, the ability to discern. But the depth of the Hebrew Chaben is deeper than the perception that includes not only hearing with our ears, but experiencing with our eyes, with touch, with taste, with smell, with one's whole being, Chaben, is not just intellectually understanding, it is being in the place of the person who is communicating. I get it. Solomon says to God, I want Shema Lechemen, the capacity to hear so well that I know what is going on with the people you have called me to lead. 
embodies what follows in the Hebrew prayer, the Shema, Shema Yisrael Adonai Elokeinu. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with your lahaven, the full being of understanding. God responds to Solomon, you have asked, yeah, well, my young Jedi. No, that's actually not what he says. Would have made sense this way. God says, no, you have asked for exactly what you are going to need to be the leader of my people. You didn't ask for power. You didn't ask for wealth. You didn't ask for an infinite number of wishes, which is why I always wonder why when the genie appears, that isn't the first wish. You want an infinite number of wishes granted, but the story never works out that way. You ask not for success. You ask for Shema Lechem which is loosely translated wisdom. But there is so much more to that word. The wisdom of Solomon, Shemalachim, a fully engaged, listening discernment. Consider asking for that instead of your next drink. Do you need a drink? No, I need Shemalachim. The world is overwhelming, when it's depressing, when it's disgusting, and we think we need to hit the spirits. Perhaps it's because we really need to be filled by the Spirit. The Spirit of God that brings deeper clarity, a need to listen, to fully engage, not with the love of drink, but with the love of God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, into a depth of sober thinking. And in fact, if you continue to look at the world around you and all you feel is greater anger or frustration or helplessness, I would suggest that you need to ask God to help you discern the rest of the story. That you haven't finished listening, as Mother Teresa said. That she listens, and God listens, and you know the word has come in the prayer that's over when your spirit can love. Until you've moved all the way to that point, you have not found the fullness of what's truly going on. Perhaps the detail and the content of the news, the information that's coming at you, but you're missing the rest of the Shema Lechaven, the listening understanding, the depth of sober thinking. You'll find yourself so racked with it that you will sing psalms and spiritual songs and sing, making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times for everything. Something in your life you can't give thanks to God for, you're not done yet. You haven't heard yet the rest of the story. Something beyond you, outside of you, is making you irritable. You haven't finished listening. And we might have listening, deep understanding, and know the fullness of all that God is giving us to live and to lead. Hallelujah. Amen.